This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. We study verse by verse through the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 27. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious in all things. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I announce to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, He, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he himself gives to all life and breath and all good things. He made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the surface of the earth, having determined appointed seasons and the boundaries of their dwellings, that they should seek the Lord, if perhaps they might reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, Verse 22, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious in all things. Paul is taking note of something about them and using it to springboard into his proclamation of Christ. These Athenians were very religious, or as some translations put it, superstitious. Paul had probably been looking around, noticing their many idols to which they paid homage, prayed and offered sacrifices in search of fulfillment and blessing. He addresses this to redirect them towards worship of the only true God. It'd be like meeting someone who doesn't know God, noticing their entire life revolves around like, I don't know, watching movies and saying, hey bro, I can tell you like really dig movies. I'm actually an enthusiast for something too. And it actually brings way more fulfillment than even the best movies can offer. Man, you don't even know what you're missing, but let me tell you about Jesus. All right, let's keep reading. Starting in verse 23, Paul continues, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, I announce to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, He being Lord of heaven and earth doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. These Athenians were obsessed with their superstitious practices, seeking to encounter the supernatural and the supposed blessings from it through worship in temples made with hands. Paul's telling them, you're not going to encounter the Lord of heaven and earth, the one and only God in temples made with hands. What they were seeking was unknown, and their gods weren't actually gods at all. At best, they were offering to something that didn't exist, a figment of their imagination. At worst, they were worshiping demons in ignorance, or perhaps even knowingly. I was, in a sense, very much like the Athenian idol worshipers at one time, worshiping an unknown god in Mormon temples made with hands. I was very religious. The superstitious religious acts and rituals I performed in man-made temples were done so in ignorance. I thought it was in LDS temples 
where I could be closest to God and truly encounter His presence. I thought the rituals I performed, like protected me from evil and harm, and made me righteous before God. I thought I was worshiping the true and living God, the Lord of heaven and earth. But I was worshiping a God of my imagination, and what I offered to that God could very well have been paying homage to demons. In LDS temples, we performed religious rituals on behalf of dead ancestors. Many sought to connect with their deceased forefathers through these temple practices, but to yearn for an encounter with dead ancestors in Mormon temples was to be set up for demonic deception. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 18 to 22, Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I needed to recognize the futility of worshiping the God of Mormonism in temples made with hands, like the vanity in doing secret temple rituals for dead people in those buildings. I needed to turn from those empty practices to the Lord of heaven and earth, who doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, to the only God who's not limited to any one location and doesn't need to be served by human hands. By the grace of God, I did. I'll leave that story for another day. Likewise, these Athenian idol worshippers needed to turn from their pagan idolatry and vain superstitions to the true and living God who doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. Let's keep reading from Acts 17. Paul continues his discourse from the Areopagus. Referring to the God of Israel, Paul says, He isn't served by men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. He made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the surface of the earth having determined appointed seasons and the boundaries of their dwellings, that they should seek the Lord, if perhaps they might reach out for him and find him, who is not far from each one of us. God doesn't need us, but we certainly need God. He is the giver of life, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. From the movement and maintenance of galaxies and solar systems down to atomic and subatomic particles, everything is under the power and control of God Almighty and only exists and continues to operate because He sustains it and permits it to do so. God created man in His own image. He made the first man Adam from the dust, breathing life into him. Out of the rib of this man, God made Eve, the first woman. From them came all the nations of the earth. God sovereignly determined where we should live, the boundaries of the nations, and gave us seasons to enjoy in which we are to seek and find Him. He isn't far from any one of us. Jesus said, Seek and you will find. You see, because of the work of Christ on the cross for our salvation, 
through his death for our sins and resurrection from the dead. Anyone who wants to can draw near to God, to Jesus who is God, by faith. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We can draw near to God, finding mercy and grace to help in time of need. Paul's inviting these idol-worshiping Athenians to draw near to the Lord of heaven and earth, who is not far from each one of us. Do you know the Lord of heaven and earth? Have you drawn near to Him? You don't have to go to a religious building or some sacred temple to encounter and know God. He dwells in His people, with those who believe in Jesus. The Apostle Paul continues his sermon, verse 28 of Acts 17. For in Him we live, move, and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Paul quotes their own poets to teach a true principle about God. The first quotation, for in him we live, move, and have our being, comes from the ancient Greek poet Epimenides the Cretan around 600 BC. The second quote, for we are also his offspring, comes from Aratus around 310 BC. So why would Paul quote these Greek poets? These specific quotes reflected a biblical truth for which he could connect with his pagan audience. This shows Paul was engaged with their culture. He was aware of and familiar with, at least to some degree, what they esteemed and knew, using a commonality to build a bridge from where they were to where they needed to be. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. That's verse 22. So of course, here it seems fitting that Paul, in speaking before the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, who had invited him to speak at the Areopagus, would speak to something they knew and esteemed in attempting to reach them for the sake of the gospel. I know a brother in Christ who often approaches ministry by first learning as much as he can about an individual in genuine and loving sincerity, engaging with that person's interests and passions, and then using illustrations from these interests and passions to minister to them as the Lord leads. So an example of this could be something like, Hey man, you've mentioned you're struggling with a temptation that's distracting you from doing what you know you're supposed to be doing as a Christian and the work to which the Lord has called you. Like, I know you're a runner. You know when you're running a race and you want to run the shortest possible distance for that given course, right? Like, if you're not running the tangents well, you're going to end up running longer than you need to, and you'll have a harder time winning the race. Or even worse, if you make a wrong turn and run, say, like, 100 meters in the wrong direction, it's hard to make up ground. Or even if you're on course, but you're running with a 50-pound backpack, it's going to slow you down. I know when you race, man, you're probably making every effort to stay on course and run the course as effectively and efficiently as possible to try and get the W. In life, we're constantly tempted to take a detour, get off on the wrong exit. We are lured by distractions and harmful vices that weigh us down and take us off course to make us less fruitful for the kingdom of Christ. But we gotta keep the big goal in mind. 
Jesus and those whom we're called to love and serve is the prize. We got to stay on course, right? The Apostle Paul wrote, But one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Imagine the joy we'll have if we can confidently say like the Apostle Paul did near the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. From now on, the crown of righteousness is stored up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. And that's from 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Friend, let's lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with perseverance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's be vigilant to root out the weeds of sin and idolatry as they surface in our lives, so we can remain free to love and serve our Lord Jesus unhindered. So there is maybe an example there of how you could apply a biblical principle to someone who was into running. The Apostle Paul and others were so good at using relatable illustrations or referencing something commonly known in a particular setting or culture to teach principles from God's Word. We can do the same.
That was Stone Temples from the album Adam's Road. It seems like everything I know is crumbling out of place on a shaky foundation I was based. And how could all of this happen? I ask myself, has my whole life been spent in vain? Then I feel a soft voice calling out to me, yeah, bringing me the peace I seek. But do you know, do you know how much I love you? I saved the 99 In search of you, my last one, you are mine And do you see me? Begins anew, and I find my very being in you. I live and breathe every day, totally dependent on you. 
to help me see this through And in those times when I question your grace I close my eyes and hold on to every word that you say Do you know, do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I think of you? I bought the mountainside I see the 99 In search of you, my last one, you are mine And do you see me? Neither death nor life yet That was Walk the Mountainside from the Adams Road album Band of Prophets.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Join us next episode as we examine Acts chapter 17, verses 28 to 34. Grace and peace be with you all.